I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our daily podcast edition of the program. I'm delighted to welcome back to The Open Mind, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Thank you for being on today. Thank you for having me back. Uh, Of course. I wanted to start with the state of our democracy in the battleground state, which you help lead. Um, Knowing what we do now about the attempts to sabotage mail voting and the attempts to demolish the drop boxes in your state, how confident are you that when we get the return from Pennsylvania's electoral votes that we can, we can have um, conviction in, in the legitimacy of the results? I, I have supreme confidence. I, re- I really do. And, and, you know, my message to Pennsylvanians is, is threefold, really. One, that vote by mail was a strictly... 100% bipartisan affair in Pennsylvania. This idea now that suddenly the Republicans are opposed to it is disingenuous, and it's part of that larger campaign to, to smear what was just very, up until very recently, a, a bipartisan effort here in Pennsylvania. This, actually more Republicans voted for vote by mail than Democrats in Pennsylvania, and anyone can look that up. Two, uh, this idea of we, you can just, you know, if you're worried about the post office, as many people are, uh, just register and vote early. That's the ultimate cure, because no matter what has been done, they, that's the ultimate cure. And three, that uh, we all have to understand that our responsibility is to look out for each other during this and, and not let this devolve into a free-for-all. I mean, the, you know, when, when we start uh, to, to question the very basic um, core values and institutions like the Postal Service and these others, like we have to remember that there's a cure for all of that, and that's to vote, and that is to do it early, and that is to uh, push back against the, the misinformation and the innuendo and the sabotage, and that's, uh, I think we're going to be okay. Now, that's not to say that Pennsylvania is not going to be tight. I, I think Pennsylvania is going to be competitive. That was going to be my next question, Lieutenant Governor, because you know all too well um, the amnesia and the uh, lack of uh, preparedness when it came to the vote in, in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania yeah. broadly in 2016. Yeah. Have the Democrats uh, corrected what they need to at a minimum uh, to be competitive, if not to win in Pennsylvania this year. Yeah, I, I think I think we we have, and and Joe Biden. You know, I, I talk to voters everywhere, and and this was before the pandemic hit. I I didn't endorse any specific candidate during the primary because, you know, I am of the opinion of I'm voting blue no matter who, because we have this existential crisis. And, and, and our uh, democracy. And, and now I'm of the view in Pennsylvania, other than just basic kind of information, like here's the link to, to go register to vote. And please, excuse me, vote early. You know, if, if what these nearly four years has shown you what, what, what our president is capable of and, capable of and willing to do, um, I, I know there's nothing I can say that can motivate you. Like, I don't think that would be the deciding factor in motivating you, anything that I can say at this point. You know, everyone knows what's at stake in this election. And I can say there is a dramatic shift in terms of trying to reach out to and convince 
the, the progressive wing of our party uh, compared to 2016. That was a hard sell in, in 2016. And there were a lot of people that were angry and resentful of Secretary Clinton's campaign and, and even you know, kind of took out some, some of their backlash on me and, and th called me a sellout. Uh, and, and I was like, no, that's not true. It's like Secretary Clinton may not be your ideal candidate, but compare uh, her uh, to Donald Trump in terms of who your ideal candidate is. And there is no comparison. And now, four years later, uh, I wish I wasn't right. And, and I think we are in, in good shape in Pennsylvania, but that is no basis for complacency. Right, absolutely. But you're saying there's anecdotal evidence that you have from folks who supported you and, and then were ostensibly disillusioned by or with Clinton and either yes. stuff. Yeah, and, it was, and, yeah. It, 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 there was a lot of backlash. Uh, when I, you're when saying I, those folks now are on Team Biden. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there, there is a small, small number of people that are like, well, you know, because there's no excuse. You know, if, if it, it, yeah, like, uh, it's really just a, an anarchist at this point because, you know, Trump, Trump leans towards that. Like this idea that that you you are so pure on the the ideological scale that you just couldn't bring yourself to vote for Joe Biden is absurd, destructive, and the and the you know the lunatic fringe and and I don't encounter that really at all. Uh, but that is a vast departure from what I did in 2016 for sure. The cautionary tale: you have someone in Joe Biden who's authentic, like like you, Lieutenant Governor. But the cautionary tale, of course, came in your 2016 Senate race in which you were more poised to defeat Toomey than McGinty. Yeah. And had you been the Democratic nominee, that seat likely would have been in Democratic control. The, right. You know, and, and you, I, I understand the mantra of uh, vote blue no matter who. And in terms of the preservation of our, of our democracy, that is correct. I, I second the motion. Having said that, um, you do feel as though there would not be a, a repeat of the dynamic you encountered in 16, where um, there was the, the, the disconnect or disharmony between yeah, I, I, the I, I wings. Yeah, I don't, see, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't encounter it online or, or in person. Uh, I think the one-two punch of the COVID pandemic and the George Floyd and Black Lives Matter reawakening um, pushed it into a whole different realm of, of chaos. And you really have a choice of, of snapback versus chaos. And, and I, think, I think people get that. And uh, now, will that coalition hold together if we're able to put Joe Biden in the White House? That's a different story. I think progressives, uh, progressives, and and the more centrist or traditional part of uh, our party are kind of bedfellows of of convenience at the moment. I, I do sense that. I mean, we I do not believe that it's a cohesive coalition um, in terms of well, but 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 everyone agrees, or the vast majority agree that we've got a job to do right now in November. And we can get together, we can stick together, and we can uh, get that job done. Yes, I do sense that very much in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, of course, not, it's not everybody. 
but it is a night and day difference uh, here on the ground in Pennsylvania compared to 2016. And I asked you in the context of the, you know, the, 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 there was a Republican autopsy after President Obama's reelection, um, which of course the party did not follow, you know, that, that said we need to be multi racial, we need to be more empathetic, and, and they went in the opposite direction. And, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of political historians and, and elected office holders like yourself on the, on the program about the direction that the Democrats decided, which was more of a historical uh, moment than, than it was, you know, a, a decision about who the candidate should be. The, the pandemic did, like you say, precipitate this kind of wanting and normalcy and, and then Biden was there. Um, you know, the, the, what you're, what you're saying about your experience on the, on the ground is heartening for those of us concerned that the party um, might not have learned the lessons from 16. Um, but when you visit as you have in your gubernatorial um, lieutenant gubernatorial capacity, when you visited places since Trump took office and since the midterms, can you talk about the, the evolution of what you've seen in, you know, sort of smaller town Pennsylvania? Sure. Well, I, I see a lot of Trump signs and I see a lot of farmers that have it on their fields. Uh, a lot of that's the same in, uh, as it was in 2016. There is there is a grassroots energy and loyalty. I would say it's, I wouldn't say it's energy coursing through uh, a lot of these places, but it's there and it's solid. And anyone that thinks, you know, on my Twitter feed, I, I went to one of those webs, two, 270 to win. And I, I put together like a, a, an entirely plausible electoral uh, college outcome. And it's two, 268 to 268. I mean, it's like everyone's nightmare scenario. Um, and, and this idea that, that, uh, that, that, well, we got this in the bag, you know, of the, of the 15 pundits that, that are telling us how 2020 is going to go, not one of them predicted Joe Biden would be our nominee, not one. And this idea that, that the pundit class, suddenly we have this in the bag, we, we can't. Um, I think feel so much more unified on the ground, but at the same time, Look at 2020. I mean, the, the running, you know, joke cliche now is whose bingo card had X, Y, and Z on it. And, you know, nobody knows what this could be like. And this race could be, this race could be upended if, if Donald Trump can land a glove on Joe Biden, whether it's publicly in a debate, you have it. That could really reshape the dynamic. This, this is not a done deal by a long shot. And I always am trying to reemphasize how complacency cost us the presidency and, and our, our national dignity uh, in 2016. And we can't afford that mistake in 2020. So with your observation, though, in communities that were supportive of Trump in 2016, mm -hmm. is that they continue to be supportive of him yep. in 2020? I do. And remember, uh, we, we lost by 44,000 votes here. So it wasn't a big margin. Uh, it was a tiny margin, but, but, but yes, this, it's like, well, look at polls. It's like, yeah, look at the polls in 2016. And 
you know, like so much has happened that caught everybody off guard in 2016. And even in 2020, you know, nobody saw, well, gee, things could really go off the rails in Iowa in the caucus. Or Joe Biden was going to be the Democratic nominee. Or the pandemic would be anything like it like it was. I mean, it, you know, the, 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 the numbers, I mean, the, the number of items continues to grow. So who's to say that <clears throat> this is going to, you know, we're in a linear glide path from now and 70 days until the election. I, I don't buy it. And, and I certainly am going to keep pushing this narrative of vigilance, but, but, a, but commitment to seeing this through. And, and then what happens to the Democratic coalition? I think you will see some fracturing, but, but we all need to realize that we have to stay together and, and take, out, um, uh, take out Donald Trump. Yeah, I just, again, I, I keep thinking about the Republican campaigns, both in 2008 and 2012. And I don't know if inside Republican camps, there was the idea that moderation would be their friend in opposing Barack Obama's reelection. Yeah. I mean, the two animating comparisons are, you know, John McCain's decency vis-a-vis -vis Joe Biden's decency. And then... Mitt Romney's moderation compared to a Santorum or a Gingrich. And the idea that, you know, those would be enticing to swing voters. And it was false that there are a lot of other dynamics, including the absence of a, of a warlike environment with a pandemic. Again, I don't think the American people are treating the pandemic like it is 9-11 times eight in terms of casualties, but it's a different environment. You know, you, you, I want you to weigh in on this though, because from my perspective, there is a little bit of a missing link in the Democratic Party's analysis of what went right for the party in 08 and 12, and then some of the concerns around the Biden ticket in, in, you know, the, the incapacity to mobilize the base. Uh, you're saying that it's, you know, you think folks are more revved up, but that that doesn't explain why Biden invited so many Republicans to speak at the convention and why, you know, yeah. one of his central strategies seems to be to peel away at, at Republican voters who may not be there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I do believe that there is uh, there is a percentage of people. Well, I mean, like there there is. An matter what happens, no matter what he says, no matter what he does. And there are certainly uh, like it, it's it's more of I mean, this is a referendum on Donald Trump. Let's be honest. I mean, I, I chuckled when you were brought up 2012. And I just remember all this, the hot water and the scandal Mitt Romney got in with that conversation where he said something about how 53 percent of people don't pay tax. I mean, just remember that it was recorded. Yeah, at a yeah, Monday. sure. And that was like, oh, my God, the world, you know, like scandal, you know, like that, that wouldn't even register, you know, um, you know, like what's now? I mean, you have sabotaging the post office. You have, you know, bounties placed on, on American soldier. I mean, like, you know, just like daily, like news cycles of outrage that are replaced by another thing that would have ruined any other candidate or president. And Donald Trump has fundamentally remade uh, American politics. That love him, hate him, whatever. It's undeniable to say that he has altered the DNA of our 
political body here in, in the United States. And, and of course, the Republican Party as well. And, and I see the 2020 election as a referendum on him. And I understand why the Biden campaign is, is showcasing Republicans, because there are enough Republicans <clears throat> that they want, uh, they just want to know that there's a reason. It's like, I have a home here because, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't go any further with, with Donald Trump. I, I just can't. And, and bear in mind, as you know, 76,000 odd votes separated uh, Donald Trump from Hillary Clinton in 2016. So you don't have to convince a lot of people of a nation of 330 million people in order to, 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 to swing things. And um, yeah, I, it's not a, I, I think everyone knows who Joe Biden is. Everyone knows who Donald Trump is. I, this isn't a matter of, of one, one candidate being able to, to frame or, or define the candidate for the other. And everyone knows who they are. And just like they can't paint Joe Biden as like some lefty uh, anarchist, socialist, Marxist, whatever the flavor of the month is, that doesn't stick. And everyone knows that Donald Trump is immune to pointing out that he said X or he did Y or whatever. I mean, his base is his base and, and that's where we are. But so when you see the doubling down in certain communities of a Trump support, you also are, you didn't express this, but you also see that there are, you know, probably suburban and, and maybe rural communities too that are capable of changing their mind because you mentioned this, the Trump signs and-, and I, I think some people are, absolutely. But I also do believe, I don't think it's a myth. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's fashionable to make fun of, oh, another story on blue collar diners or, or like sniff about this or that or whatever. But I, I, I promise you, a lot of communities across Pennsylvania, no one knows or reads Ezra Klein, but I guarantee you they might watch Fox News or they see uh, the local paper. I mean, it's like a lot of the media outlets that, are a part of like the steady diet of what you read, what I read, what other people read. It's just not applicable. And, and I would challenge anybody to get out of their bubble and realize the kind of me, uh, media that, that people are consuming in these communities. And that this race is still, I see a lot more Donald Trump signs, billboards, yard signs, bumper stickers than I do Joe Biden ones. I, I, that's just a fact. It's a fact. And and I do think there is a block of, of Trump voters that just don't want to be known or the hassle. And, and I, I do think the polling doesn't represent the, the true nature of the race. And I would expect that it's going to tighten significantly. You mentioned a knockout punch at the debate. Um, by virtue of his performance at the DNC and also his performance in the one-on-one -on -one debate against Sanders, it does seem that folks have underestimated um, the mental acuity and, and formidability of, of Biden, you know, and so. I mean, I, I, of, of course, the, the, the Republicans play that up, but, but I also want to point out that that wasn't really a debate between Sanders and Biden. I mean, that was a foregone conclusion. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that Sanders, I think, has a genuine affinity for Joe Biden, and he wasn't going for the jugular. Uh, Donald sure. Trump is going to be bringing bring in everything in the kitchen sink. It's a much different dynamic.
Um, so, so how do you correct the inf- what you perceive to be outwardly in the signs and bumper stickers, the enthusiasm gap? Is that just going to... I, I, I wouldn't call it, I, I wouldn't call it an enthusiasm. I would call it resili- resilience and, and this like, uh, like we're, we got this. Like it, I, I think it's, 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 it's different. It's, it's not like, like crackling grassroots energy that I felt on the ground for Barack Obama in 2008. It's, it's different. It's more of a, of a, this is, this is our job and this is what we got to do. Right. Showing, showing, not telling. And yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's, it's like, I I mean, I, I ultimately served in the electoral college for Barack Obama. And I got to tell you, like, like I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it was just like that whole, like, it's possible and, and the energy and, and whatever. It's radically different now, some 12 years later on in terms of the candidate point. And, and, and I would say this more than anything is a referendum on Donald Trump and, and the job he has done to America over the last four years. Look, and, and, right, yeah. and you do have insurgent candidates like Carter, um, you know, and then ultimately facing a referendum and HW facing a referendum. And you, know, you do see the model of an incumbent losing when the campaign is situated. Historically, if you look at the American presidency, incumbent candidates are never uh, considered you know, upset um, worthy. You know, the likelihood is if you're an incumbent, you're more likely to win re-election. Yep. So you know, n- knowing that and what we know, uh, there has been some discussion that the DNC did not project enough the policies that Biden and Harris will implement to, you know, economically save people's lives, literally save people's lives at this difficult point. Um, do you concur with that? And if you do, you know, what would you like to see said um, besides, of course, what we know needs to be done, which is a national mask mandate? test and trace, you know, all the effective measures of protecting against the virus that would put the economy back on track. But what more specificity would you like to hear? From I, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think it comes down to specificity. I, I, I really do. I, I think it comes down to the two stark choices, chaos versus uh, a, a return to normalcy. I, I honestly do. I think that's most it for everybody. You know, just me personally, as, as, a, as a Democrat, one of the things that was missing from the platform that I was outraged over was uh, medical, or I mean, excuse me, marijuana. Like that, that this idea that, you know, it, it's so critical to, to free ourselves from the, the legacy of, of cannabis prohibition. And it's wildly popular with Democrats. It's wildly popular with Republicans. It's popular. Um, and I think that's, that plays to, you know, playing it too safe. Um, but in terms of other bigger policies, like we're going to hash that out as a party. I think it's the understood, it's the bargain that we're going to hash that out as a party. And, and I think right now during the, the, the election, it's like we're going to come together and your choice is going to be four more years of this or four more years of, or four new years of a return to order and decency and empathy and you don't have to follow my Twitter feed 24-7 and wonder what the hell am I going to do next. I think people want that. I think people want a president that they can go back to ignoring and, and not being so 
invested emotionally in this roller coaster ride that we've been on for the last four years. I mean, think about that. Think about that. That Access Hollywood tape, it broke. I'll never forget it. I was actually in the audience of their first debate when that tape broke before the first debate, when I was, uh, I was on my way to go to that debate. And, and how outrageous. And everybody said, oh, he's done for. I mean, this is a, this is a career ender. And it's like, no, no. And that almost seems quaint compared to what's been revealed since then. So, like, this, it's impossible to overstate how in play this race very much is. Just as a final question, Lieutenant Governor, because you're, you're a political junkie um, like, like me, you know, just what, what can, if, if there are lessons that can be learned from the failures of McCain and Romney in 2008 and 2012, besides what you're saying, the obvious, which was the electricity for yeah. Obama, especially in 08, like what would you just advise Biden and a ticket, Biden-Harris now, to be wary of, um, you know, because it did seem like there were some mistakes in the general election that uh, were unforced errors um, and sometimes, you know, very yeah. deliberate errors by by both McCain and, and and Romney. I think I think that those races are instructive. I think we have to look. I agree them. with you. Re- remember after that disastrous debate in I think it was Denver with with yeah. Obama and Romney. Yeah. Like yeah. like Romney could have pulled it off. There was a period there where where he actually could have won. Um, yeah. uh, and and that and and you know now we were so fatigued. I mean and and uh, but for that video that undercover video about the 53% or whatever, I, I, I don't know how it could have gone necessarily. So, so, uh, uh, so in terms of Biden's, I mean, their messaging has been, 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 I think, very strong, where it's like, do you, do you miss the America that we used to be? Do you miss uh, a, a president that you knew had our backs? And, and are you sick of this chaos? I, I think that message is, is, is what people want right now. And, and, uh, I don't think, and, and I also notice how how they're always seen with a mask, and they're always playing that that safety angle. And I think that's what people want. They want they want to put this behind them, and and I think that's that's incredibly strong. And and given the fact that the two candidates that are now the top of our ticket, one didn't even make it to have a single vote to the uh, in the primary, and the other wasn't really given a chance by virtually any professional uh, pundit. Um, I think speaks to like we want someone that we think that can beat Donald Trump, and we want to rest- return to normalcy. And and I think I think the Biden campaign understands that. And I think certainly here in Pennsylvania, they're, they're going at it in a way that that I think is consistent with delivering that kind of basic package to your average Pennsylvania voter. It's like okay. We may have thought Trump might have been it, but it, it's too much. It's extra. And we just want something that uh, is, is going to dial it back. Lieutenant Governor would be U.S. Senator, but L- Lieutenant Governor Fetterman may be still future U.S. Senator uh, or Governor yeah, Fetterman. You um, you, you Thank bring, you so much for having me, really. You bring, yeah, you bring some passion to this party and to this debate. And I thank you for your time today. Oh, thanks again.